Good morning, everyone. I'd like to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of John, the book of John, chapter 12. We're going to be reading verses 12 through 28 this morning. Now, as you are turning there, I want to give a second invitation to encourage you to engage this week in Holy Week. You're already off to a good start. You're here on Palm Sunday. You're ready to go. But this is the highest week of the year for us as Christians. As we remember and celebrate the final week of our Savior's earthly ministry and His resurrection on Easter morning. So I would encourage you to engage in a few ways. First is to come. Come to our Monday, Thursday service. Come to our Good Friday service. Come Easter morning. I'd also encourage you to read this week. Go through the final chapters of the Gospel. We're here in John chapter 12. Go through John chapter 21 and follow the final week of Christ's earthly ministry. Next, take time to reflect and to pray. Take time to think about what you have read. Make it a point to turn off the radio while you are in the car or to put down the phone. Stop playing Fortnite for maybe a half an hour. And think and reflect and pray that this Easter Sunday Christ would rise in your heart and that those who do not know Him would bow down for the first time. And finally... Invite. This is a great time for you to engage those who do not know Christ. Many people are willing to come to an Easter morning service that wouldn't come to church any other time of the year. And so, open your eyes to see those who you might invite to be a part of this Holy Week celebration. So let us now turn our hearts and our minds to the Word of God as it is written for us in John chapter 12, starting in verse 12. Hear now the Word of the Lord. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet Him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord! even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. And I will glorify it again. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us go to him now in prayer. Father God, we come to you now. And even as the Greeks came beseeching the disciples, we come now beseeching you, saying we wish to see Jesus. We have gathered this morning, O Lord, that we might see Your Son, Jesus Christ, proclaimed in Your Word, lifted high in praises, and manifested in our lives. And so we pray, O God, on this Palm Sunday morning, that the glory of Christ and the true hour of His triumph would rise in our hearts and that we would follow Him. We pray it in His holy name. Amen. The evening of June 16th, 1940, the defeated French army sought an armistice with Nazi Germany. Holland, Belgium, and France had all been overrun, and alone now stood Britain against the rising flood of Hitler's expanding empire. It was clear that the battle of France was over and the battle of Britain was about to begin. Soon, Nazi bombers would swarm the skies over London. Dark were the summer days of 1940. And some might say it was the lowest point in Britain's modern history. However, the newly elected Prime Minister Winston Churchill saw the situation through a different lens. He could see that in the midst of Britain's coming struggle was an opportunity for nobility and glory. In his now famous speech addressed to the House of Commons, he said these words. The battle of France is over. I expect the battle of Britain is about to begin. Upon this battle depends the survival of Christian civilization. For the whole fury and might of the enemy must very soon be turned on us. Hitler knows that he will have to break us in this island or lose the war. If we can stand up to him, all of Europe may be freed and the life of the world may move forward. But if we fail, then the whole world, including the United States, including all that we have known and cared for, will sink into the abyss of a new dark age, made more sinister and perhaps more protracted by the lights of perverted science. Let us therefore brace ourselves in our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say this was their finest hour. Now, how could he say this 
is their finest hour. Britain and the Allies are at their lowest point. They are in the depths of hardship and the coming battle would take the lives of tens of thousands of people. This seems like the lowest point, their darkest and weakest hour. From a human perspective, glory happens in victory. Glory happens when you have the power, when you have the strength. Nevertheless, Churchill had the eyes to see that our finest hour, that is the moments that will define the worth of our character and the strength of our resolve are not found in the moments that we might deem triumphant, but rather in the moments of our greatest humility and our greatest need. In our text for this morning, we come to the beginning of the end of the Gospel story. Jesus has come to the city of Jerusalem to begin the final week of His earthly ministry. And historically, this section of Scripture that we have just read is called the Triumphal Entry. And we might be tempted to believe that this is the climax. We might believe this is the high point of Jesus' earthly ministry. We might be tempted to believe that this is the very pinnacle of glory. But what we will see is that it is not the day of triumph, but rather the day of humility that will be the finest hour. If you look down at verse 23 of your text, there we read, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now up to this point in the book of John, Jesus has used this term hour as a future event and the culmination of his earthly ministry. In John chapter 2, Jesus' mother Mary prompts him to do something about the fact that the wedding feast has run out of wine. But Jesus says to his mother, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Jesus says to the woman at the well in chapter 4, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Later in on chapter 7, Jesus is at the Feast of the Booths. The authorities do not like what Jesus was teaching. And so we read in verse 30, So they were seeking to arrest Him, but no one laid a hand on Him because His hour had not yet come. And again, in John chapter 8, Jesus is making the leadership in Jerusalem angry. And the author feels that he needs to explain why Jesus is not arrested. And he says, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. You see, all of these references are pointing to the reality that there is an appointed time at which the work of Christ will come to its pinnacle. It will come to its height. The hour of Christ's glory is nothing less than the culmination of all of His life's work and ministry focused into a single point. His finest hour. And again, it could be easy to believe that what we read just a few moments ago in John chapter 12 is this hour. This is how the scene is described again, looking at verse 12 and following, if you will, in your text. 
It says, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. This must be his hour. Jews from all over the known world are gathered for the celebration of Passover, a celebration of God's defeat of Egypt and the salvation of his people. It was the height of the Jewish year. This must be his hour for the crowd that gathered was large or great. We are not given a number in our text, but a Jewish historian from the first century claimed that 2.7 million people would participate in the Passover in Jerusalem. Just think of it this way. Virginia Tech's Lane Stadium holds a little less than 67,000 people. So we are talking about 40 football stadiums filled to capacity. We're not talking about a small religious festival. We are talking about a great crowd of people. And this great crowd heard that Jesus was coming. The text lets us know that they had heard about him raising Lazarus from the dead and they are in a frenzy about this. Could this be the Messiah of whom we have been waiting? Could this be the one who will lead us out from under Roman persecution and occupation as Moses led our people out of Egypt? Could this be the great coming Messiah who will set us free? This must be his hour. For the people go out of the city to meet Christ as He is coming in. And they take in their hands these palm branches, a symbol of national pride and kingship. It would be a bit like if we took American flags in our hands and we were waving them as a political figure was going down the road and we think this is going to be the next president. We're waving our flags at him. They take the palm branches and they wave them before their coming king. This must be the hour for they begin to sing Psalm 118. They're singing to Jesus to show that they are accepting Him as the promised King. As Pastor Mike told us, Hosanna literally means save us. But by this time it became more of an acclamation of joy than a cry for help. So when the crowd is singing Hosanna, they are declaring with joy that Jesus has come to save them. They are declaring, Jesus, You are our King. Can you imagine the glory of this scene? Hundreds of thousands of people who have been under the oppression of Rome gathered to celebrate their historic deliverance. And now in Jesus, they have a hope that their new deliverer has come. And they are proclaiming with their mouths that He is the King. He is the Messiah. You think it's raucous when they play Enter Sandman at Virginia Tech games? Think of the triumph. And the glory of entering Zion with the voices of thousands singing out to you, Hosanna! The crowd is in a frenzy. Up to two and a half million people gathered together in one town with the pent-up frustration of hundreds of years of oppression pouring forth in hope that Jesus will bring it to an end. 
The day was right. The emotions were high. This is the moment of triumph. This is the moment of glory when the Messiah will come and lead his massive army of people in revolt against Rome. It is here that the war against the world begins and the kingdom of God goes forth in power. How could this not be his finest hour? How could this triumph not be his hour of glory? Someone once commented that the praise of man is the most worthless thing that you can possess. Those who sing your praise one moment will degrade you the next. Your favorite golfer on Thursday might have become your least favorite by today. And maybe by the end of today, he will redeem himself. For talk is cheap. And the ovations of men are worthless treasure. Our Lord Jesus understood this. And his heart was not fooled by the acclamations of men. And so he entered this moment of great renown with great humility. If you look down at verse 15, we read there what Jesus did in response to this moment. It says, and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Jesus accomplishes two very important tasks in riding into Jerusalem on a young donkey. First, he fulfilled the prophecy made by Zechariah almost 500 years earlier, namely that the Messiah would come on a donkey's colt. Jesus, in this sense, is encouraging the crowds in their identifying him as the Messiah. He is giving them a sign. You're right. I am the Christ. Jesus is the king of Israel, the one who will save them, the one who will bring them deliverance. But on the other hand, he accomplishes this task to show them that he is not the king that they expect. He will not be a Jewish Caesar. He will not win his victory through the strength of arms, but through humility and lowliness. A young donkey is no war horse. And the text is clear that disciples did not understand what Jesus was doing. Look at verse 16. It says just this. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Wait a minute. I thought that Jesus was being glorified. How much more glory is Jesus going to get? Thousands of people praising him, calling him king. How could the triumphal entry not be his hour of glory? To help the disciples understand, he explains in verses 23 and following, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies... It remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. 
Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, Jesus is giving an example from farming. If you've ever or if you never plant a seed, it will never germinate, right? It will never sprout. It will never grow. It will never produce any fruit. You can buy all the seeds you want, but until they go down into the ground, they will never be good for anything. And this is to teach us about the true path of glory. Do you want to live? Then die. You want true triumph? Then choose the path of lowliness, not the path of exaltation. Jesus is not despising life. He's not despising glory. Rather, He is seeking to teach us, seeking to teach those who would follow Him, that if you really want life, then you have to follow the path of humility, not the path of praise. Follow the path of lowliness, not the path of triumph. And this runs completely counter to our fleshly passions. For our desire and our instinct is to get all that we can out of this life. I wonder, what do you celebrate? What do you celebrate in your life and in your family's life? What is important? Do you push academic success and achievement over spiritual development? Are you training your children for athletic success and not spiritual success? Do we strive for excellence in the arts but have very little time for excellence in the things of the Lord? Do we celebrate things like Hollywood success, NFL success, Broadway success, business success? Or do we celebrate the things of the Lord? Oh, how we seek to build our lives around the glory of the world when in reality the Lord Jesus is teaching us that it is nothing but vain glory. We live as though the hour of honor will be our finest hour. But Jesus says, when you go to the feast, seek the lowest seat, not the highest. He says, it is the meek who will inherit the earth. We are to prefer the road of humility and not the road of honor. We are to hate this life and love the life is to come. We are constantly striving for glory, striving for achievement, a better job, a larger salary, a bigger house, a better body, a new record. And it's all going away. The praise of men and the achievements of this life will be forgotten in one lifetime. Praise will come and go. Buildings will be built and destroyed. Companies will be established and bankrupt. Fortunes will be built and spent. Empires and kingdoms will be established only to be forgotten in the rubble of time. And Jesus is saying, triumph and men's praise are not the path to true glory. And life. But there is one path that will not end in ruin and destruction. There is one path to glory that we might follow. As Jesus explains in verse 26 of our text, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Or as Jesus says elsewhere, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. Humility, not triumph, will lead to the glory that we seek. 
Now Jesus has come to the city of Jerusalem. And I'm sure that his disciples are kind of bouncing around. You can imagine, right? They're thinking, now's the time. They're looking at each other and thinking, okay, what's next? Here we are. We have everyone behind us. Here we are. Now isn't the time to get things going, Jesus. Didn't you see what happened? These people are waiting for you. They're expecting you to do something. They're expecting you to say something. And Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And the disciples are thinking, right on, the hour has come. Here it is. Jesus is going to reveal the full extent of His power and glory. What's going to happen? Are angels going to come forth and defeat the legions of Rome? How is this going to come out? But then He begins to talk about death. And the disciples are frustrated. What? No. Death and glory are opposites, Jesus. When you say glory, don't start talking about death. Those things don't go together. But what they did not understand is that it was in His death that the true glory of the Lord Jesus Christ was revealed. For His hour of glory was not when the people declared that He was King. It was when Pilate had King of the Jews nailed above His head. His finest hour was not when He rode up into town on a donkey. It was when He walked down out of town with a cross on His back. His glory did not reach its pinnacle when palm branches were waved at Him, but rather when thorns were shoved into His head. His finest hour was not when people shouted Hosanna. His hour of glory was when the crowd shouted, Crucify Him! This is what the Lord Jesus is seeking to show us. The road to true glory is not up but down. The path of humility is the path to being exalted. Unless one dies, he will never truly live. For the Lord did not come to be an earthly king for a generation, but rather to stand for all eternity as the King of heaven. For of His kingdom there is no end. And of His rule and power all will bow one day. The glory of that kingdom is not established in power, but in humility. For He brought deliverance not by shedding the blood of Romans, but rather by allowing Rome to shed His blood. He came not to bring vengeance, but to bring forgiveness. Those who sang His praises on Palm Sunday were right in the words that they spoke, but not in their heart. For He is the King who will save His people. But not to a triumphant Caesar, but rather to a crucified Christ. And this morning, this Palm Sunday morning, you need to ask yourself, am I willing to sing the praises of such a King? Are you willing to bow your life down in humility with the faith that the true hour of glory comes at the cross? And are you willing to take up your cross daily and follow in the steps of Christ? To look to your life and say, my finest hour may not be my triumphs and victories, but rather to see that it might be in the defeats and struggles, the losses and hardships, the sacrifices and hidden struggles against sin and Satan that might compose your finest hour. For it's not when we dominate that we are most like Christ. 
but when we humbly offer our lives for the sake of the Gospel and for the glory of our Christ. The power and the glory of Jesus was not that He could get thousands of people to shout praises to His name. His hour of glory was when He went to the cross to die for the sins of the world that rejected Him. His glory was that He took on death. His glory was that He took on the wrath of God. His glory is that He was powerful enough to be shamefully hanged upon a tree. This is the culmination. This is the pinnacle. Not Jerusalem's praise, but Golgotha's shame. In Matthew chapter 4, we read about Jesus' temptations in the wilderness. As you, will, as you will recall, following his baptism, he was immediately led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And there, Satan tempted him to turn from the path of humility in the cross. We read there in verses 8 through 9, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now here's the temptation. The world and all of its kingdoms belong to Jesus. They are his inheritance. In Psalm 2 we read, Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. This was Jesus' inheritance. It belonged to Him. They would be given to Him. And He might have been tempted. In His mind, He could have thought, I could rule this world with equity and justice. I could bring the nations into submission to God's law and end the oppression of My people. And all people will properly fear Me and love Me. And there is a part of all of us, I am sure, That when we see this, we want Jesus to take the bait. Even in your own life, I'm sure there are times when you think, I just wish that Jesus were in charge and that justice would be upheld in my life. But the praise God that we seek after is not the glory of this world. And so we praise the Lord that He did not give in to this temptation. We praise God for He knew that the cross had to come before the crown. He knew that death had to come before new life. He knew that justice must be established by shedding His blood. For it is not the triumph of Palm Sunday, but the humility of Good Friday that was His finest hour. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us go now to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to you. And we confess that in our hearts, we know little of this truth. For we continually to seek after the glory of man and his praises. May we this Easter week set our minds and our hearts upon Christ and by the power of Your Spirit 
and its illumination to us as we seek You in Your Word. May we see a clear path that we might take up our cross and follow Christ this week and all the days of our lives. We pray it in Your name, Lord Jesus, and for Your glory and honor. Amen.